we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. The seismic, shocking change at Northwestern, Pat Fitzgerald, out as head coach after 17 seasons, the winningest coach in Northwestern history at a program not known for winning. This is the College Game Day podcast for Tuesday, July 11th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. And, and Pete, when we decided to get back together to talk college football, this is not at all what we anticipated happening over just the last several days. Pat Fitzgerald, who defines Northwestern football, they've had five 10-win seasons in the history of the program. He was the head coach for three of them and a player in another one. He's the winningest coach in program history. They have six bowl wins. He was the head coach for five of them. He's more than doubled uh, the next closest competitor in terms of Northwestern's all-time wins list. And for much of my life, Northwestern was a punchline and a joke uh, prior to the run when Pat Fitzgerald was a player and certainly prior to what he accomplished as a head coach. There were ups and downs, that sort of part and parcel of being the coach at Northwestern on the field, I mean. But this scandal that rocked the foundation of the program that he had built, that called into question what virtually everyone in the sport thought that they knew about Pat Fitzgerald, was shocking to me. If you had said to me a day before this scandal broke, there's going to be a a program that's going to be hit with hazing allegations. They are going to be salacious in nature. There's going to be a sexualized content to the hazing. Uh, name five or six coaches and programs that you can guarantee won't be on the list. Prior to this story breaking, Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern would have easily made my list. And yet here we are, Fitzgerald fired and Northwestern reeling as a result in the aftermath. Yeah, Reese, I mean, from the macro, it's a stunning turn of events. There's no other way to uh, to, to characterize it. Um, Pat Fitzgerald is the single most important person in the history of Northwestern's athletic department. Um, as a player, he transformed the program. As a coach, uh, he made them relevant for an extended period of time. And I know the on-field results in recent years, particularly the last two, weren't great. But they were relevant and competitive, which they weren't in the generations that preceded Pat Fitzgerald. Um, so fr- from the big picture, uh, he would have been the fifth longest tenured coach in college football had he uh, had he made it into this season, uh, which would have been his 18th season. And uh, yeah, just the fact that Pat Fitzgerald is no longer the coach at Northwestern in general is, is a pretty jarring thing because it's just been such a, a, a consistent thing for the sport. You think about he could have had the Michigan job um, you know, when I believe when Rich Rodriguez got it, uh, you know, he's had countless opportunities and countless phone calls to leave. And he's the guy who just stayed loyal there forever. And I, I just I would sum things up this way. Um, I think it's understandable that the university got to where they did 
because of the allegations, the hazing allegations that were raised in the report. It's confounding the process in which this unfolded with the two-week suspension, basically a summer vacation buried under the rug. The school paper uh, reveals the details that were in the executive report that still nobody has seen. And the the school has said will not be put out. Um, And then he's fired 48 hours later. So um, I understand how they how they came to the decision they did, but the process in which it unfolded has been clunky, embarrassing, and, and really just a, a black eye on the school that needed to be publicly embarrassed to do what it then said was the right thing. You know, it's, I, I find myself wanting, as we all do, as sort of human nature to want to know the details. But I want the details to help inform my judgment on this because even the letter that the Northwestern president, Michael Schill, who's been on the job less than a year, I think, aired. I think less than six know, months. Yeah, acknowledged that, um, you know, a- acknowledged that there was some ambiguity among the people that they interviewed. So, you know, I would like to see what the investigation entailed. Now, it's their right as a private institution not to make those types of things public, but it is it is sort of in our being as humans that we gravitate toward what the most scandalous, what the most salacious, most sensational is, and we have a tendency to believe that. It sort of flies in the face of the axiom of innocent until proven guilty. Now, I'm not saying that to defend Pat Fitzgerald in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I don't know what happened. I'm just saying that I want I want to know what it means, particularly in the the initial statement and then the one that uh, Michael Schill released and announcing the termination about in some ways the culture was incredible, in other ways the culture was broken. What does it mean when it says there were significant opportunities to know what was going on within the program. Does that mean that, look, there was hazing, however it was perceived by different players on the team, it was harmful to some, and that was enough to make it stop. And because you are the head coach, the CEO, the boss, it was your job to know it, even if it wasn't an easy thing to know. But you have opportunities because you're the boss and that's the way it goes. All problems roll to your doorstep and whether it's your fault, you're responsible for them. Does it mean that or does it mean this is something, while they said there was widespread knowledge within the program of the hazing, does that mean that the coaches all knew it but turned a willful blind eye to it and were callous in um in any types of problems it might have presented, were they um, were were they dismissive of people who might have raised a question about that? Did they purposely go out of their way to allow it to happen? Um, you know, and then there was certainly part of the allegations that that in some way, shape, form, or fashion that Fitzgerald condoned it. I, you know, look. You get in a bunch of trouble when you have a microphone in front of you or a television camera in front of you if you start saying things like that didn't happen. So I don't know what happened. I want to be clear on that. It doesn't comport with what I know about Pat Fitzgerald that he would willingly condone it and say, yeah, let's let's haze this guy. But, you know, so that's why I want the details, because I need some perspective and some scale on what this means to... To know exactly, you know, 
exactly what I think about whether this has been handled properly or not. Now, at the end of the day, they're an institution who gets to hire and fire who they who they choose. We all work at the pleasure of our employers. And if, if this has become too big a public embarrassment that they can't have him go on as the primary face of the university, well, then so be it. And perhaps that is the thing. But it would really change the perspective of what Northwestern has accomplished on the field, I mean, and what Pat Fitzgerald has stood for, um, you know, if, if these allegations prove to be, you know, within context and 100% true. And, and we don't know the answers to that. And because of that, that, that's what leaves me a little baffled. But maybe this is, this is one of those things where a private institution, uh, has the right to keep things private and they'll soldier on until, you know, until they get their next coach and, and they'll try to clean it up in that way by trying to let time pass and, and move on from it. Yeah, I think, Reese, that the thing that bugs me about the way this process was handled is that college presidents trot out the transparency and accountability. That's like right out of the, <laughs> right out of the college president handbook. We're going to have transparency and accountability, right? And yeah. Michael Schill, when faced with an opportunity here for transparency and accountability to say, okay, this is what I knew when I made the decision for the Friday news dump and the two-week suspension, and then this is, this is why we got to that decision, and this is then why we went. But right now, it simply looks like Northwestern read the results of the report, didn't want to release them, wanted to slap Pat, Pat Fitzgerald on the wrist and move on with him as their coach, which is their right to do. But then when things went sideways, the fact that they didn't release it, to me, says that they basically got embarrassed by the school paper into making this decision. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really, I think, a, 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 a quick synopsis of this. And then, again, I'm not defending the hazing. I mean, nobody's arguing the of hazing happened, right? Nobody's arguing the hazing happened. It it clearly happened. Um, I think they said 11 people acknowledged it. The ambiguity here, Reese, to, to speak to your point, is what, Pit, what Pat Fitzgerald could have known. Now, he very clearly denied that uh, in his statement last night. He said, uh, Attorney Maggie Hickey conducted a thorough investigation spanning several months into the allegations that led to my termination. Her investigation reaffirmed what I have always maintained, that I had no knowledge whatsoever of any form of hazing within the Northwestern football program. Um, so, the, you know, as, as shocking as it is to think of Northwestern football without Pat Fitzgerald suddenly and steeped in scandal— I think even more shocking, Reese, is we're about to have Pat oh, Fitzgerald yeah. versus Northwestern in a lawsuit. I mean, mm-hmm. two institutions that were so closely aligned that the longtime coach and former star player, arguably, you know, the most famous graduate of the last generation there. Um, I'm sure they have some other, you know, Nobel Prize winner or something like that. But boy, when I think Northwestern as a university, there's a lot of great journalists. There's a lot of great mm-hmm. economists and other things. I, I think of Pat Fitzgerald uh pretty quickly for him to have brought in a very high profile Chicago lawyer to to litigate the contract he's due about 40 million dollars um, that the deal runs through 2030 so I think it's like seven and a half years left on it um, that is like mind-boggling that there is going to be you know legal swings being taken here now these things rarely if ever get to court so I don't think that's going to happen. But the fact that Pat Fitzgerald lawyered up against the school mm-hmm. that he defined and that defined him is a wild turn of events. It 
there's also one other thing as it pertains to the hazing, Pete, that I think is a really fair criticism of Pat Fitzgerald and the coaching staff. And this this hazing uh, this hazing stuff apparently dates back a number of years. But when you're the head coach and your staff, you're responsible for who you bring into the program. And if you have a bunch of knuckleheads who think it's a good idea to engage in hazing of this sort, well, that's on you. And, you know, that that part of it is not ambiguous to me. Um, you that, that has to be set as an expectation. And there were quotes that were pulled out from several years ago with Pat talking about such things and saying the things you would have expected uh, prior to this scandal, but it didn't happen in practice. And, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of remarkable that as things have changed over the years that the, you know, the 1950s style hazing or whatever that, that you see or the fraternity style hazing is still going on anywhere. It, it seems uh, it seems ridiculous. Now, team bonding is one thing, but now you have teams going out with Navy SEALs and, and doing uh, uh, survival type things and doing things to come closer together and to work together as opposed to, you know, putting you through some type of uh, some level of torture or embarrassment or whatever it might be in order to prove that you're committed to the team. That part of it. That part of it seems almost unfathomable, and while it certainly uh, is on the fully paid professional coaches and administrators who oversee the program, what are these guys thinking too? I mean, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? You know, I mean, it's uh, that that kind of thing is is part of this entire story too, and it prob- and that part of it makes it pretty easy to see why you need to change. Uh, change leadership within the program if you just looked at it through that scope of why is this even happening to begin with you know now I I stand by what I said earlier I would like to know scale I would like to know context in order to to inform my judgment of this as fully as possible but I don't see any reason why I would say oh yeah okay I, I, I forget that it's ridiculous that this type of thing goes on um in this day and age, there are a lot of ways for guys to pull together and have bonding experiences. They all don't have to be serious survival training, but none of them include the type of allegations that, uh, that were put forth in this Northwestern situation. Yeah, Reese, I, I, uh, I certainly like to think you and I are on a lot of college campuses, right? We talked to a lot of coaches We're we're around the sport a lot. Now I'm not going to pretend that, there's you know a ton of college athletes that I interact with on a daily basis, and I know their the the reverberations of their lives. Um, but I was you know being someone who's on a lot of campuses and being around, I was generally really surprised that the scope and then just the the nature of it and the systemic nature of it, that was surprising to me that that happened mm-hmm. anywhere. And it was I guess somewhat surprising that it happened at Northwestern. But boy, that like that this stuff still went on like. Look, do you make guys sing Christmas carols or the fight song? Sure. Oh, like I, like yeah. silly yeah. stuff. Yeah, maybe a haircut kind of thing you hear about here and there. Um, yeah, and, and it's been interesting talking to coaches the last couple of days. They talk about, like, I've heard some stuff about, like, boxing in the locker room is sort of like one of the big initiations that still happens now. You get guys to, uh, you know, get guys to kind of, you know, freshmen to swing at each other to show toughness. So I, get, I, I, I don't want to be naive. There is still sort of that... 
machismo that that exists and the 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 proving you belong is still a big part of athletics in general um not just at the college level you see it at the nfl level you see it at the high school level um but boy this like that it went on to this scale and scope as it's alleged was was really eye-opening to me that in Mm -hmm. this day and age where everybody's one snapchat away from everything being exposed (laughs) and falling apart that you know that that this happened i'd be curious because because your son just finished a, a tour as a college athlete did that did that the the nature of this come as a surprise to you just kind of being around locker rooms like you are professionally and you know having some window personally into into the life of a college athlete yeah it it, it did i mean look i'm sure a lot of stuff went on in the the princeton and duke locker rooms of which i'm unaware but it was, you know, it was nothing like this. I know, um, you know, speaking of the, the, the boxing thing, and I think statute of limitations will be fine here. Um, you know, the athletes in his high school, they used to do some of that stuff, but they had gloves and they put on football helmets and everybody laughed. Nobody was forced to do it. The guys just did it. It was a good time. You know, I mean, guys, I don't have a problem with stuff like that that's completely voluntary. If guys are, you know, gonna, uh, you know, gonna wrestle or if they're going to, um, you know, even even box as long as it's not stupid. You know, bare knuckle stuff in the parking lot. Okay, that's dumb. You put on football helmets and gloves, and you don't really know what you're doing. And you, you know, uh, and guys do this. You know, young guys, whatever. But you know, anything that could actually, you know, be harmful like that, I or or certainly something of of this nature, the sexualized nature of it, for sure. Never, you know, never never heard of of anything you know anything like that the you know the other thing too was um you know the differences in in locker rooms i mean fitzgerald apparently you know viewed the locker room as belonging to the players one of the former players said that so he wasn't in there a lot that's not to absolve him the one thing that i do know is that a lot of coaches that you and i both know both you know ones my my sons played for and then ones in other sports that we've been around you know, they kind of wanted to have a have a temperature in that locker room. You know, that maybe you know there were there were varying degrees and and how much you know one of the coaches he played for was in as opposed to the other one. But um, you know, I even know stories of of basketball coaches who before big games would go and uh, Wimp Sanderson at Alabama used to sneak down to the locker room and put his ear up to the door. And they didn't know he was there because he wanted to know what was going on in there and whether they were ready for a big game and. You know, I find it hard to believe that that Pat Fitzgerald just removed himself from the locker room and said, this is yours, because most coaches want to know what the vibe is in there, and they find some way, you know, they find some way to get it. And, you know, if that was a huge part of what was going on in that locker room, that's, uh, that's, that's condemning of the culture for sure. The disconnect here is that what happened in that locker room was antithetical to everything Pat Fitzgerald stood for. <laughs> right, and that's yeah. that's that's the part that's that that's that's mind bending about all this because you know Pat Fitzgerald was you know a sort of one of the paragons of the game, meaning he when he spoke of college football, you listened because he had built that credibility, built it as a player, and uh, he built it as a coach. I, I can't tell you, Reese how many text messages I received last night. I mean, my phone was flooded. I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. Mm-hmm. Uh, coaches, athletic directors, commissioners, uh, players, like 
people are were just floored that this happened to him there. That was just mm-hmm. the, the the general reaction, and there was no long conversations about judgment. Should they shouldn't have just that the very act of Northwestern what. Northwestern firing Pat Fitzgerald was jarring to the entire ecosystem of college athletics. And I think, Pete, along with that, I like the phrase you used, happened to him there, because I think there was a feeling among coaches in the sport and people around the sport that they operated on... um, you know, not that they were morally superior, but that they, you know, that there was kind of a, a different plane and some of the, some of the problems that might uh, rear their heads from time to time at other places aren't really issues at places like Northwestern or maybe Stanford or, you know, Vanderbilt. Well, Vanderbilt's had some issues. That's so probably a bad example over the years, but, uh, you know, there's that perception and it sort of shows that that perception's untrue. That, you know, no matter how you, present your university and where athletics stand and what you what you represent you are subject to the same types of downfalls that can show up at any other place that might not carry the same level of academic clout on the outside so here's here's what i'm curious about um you know from talking to people at northwestern the, the past couple of days reese uh, and and again uh, and again last night what happens to that program? Like, kids go to Northwestern to play for Pat Fitzgerald, right? Like, now there's a great education. There's a great degree. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the tradition in, in many ways. Um, could we see a mass exodus? Uh, could, you know, d- all these guys can walk and go play for, you know, <laughs> I'll use metaphorical Ole Miss because they seem to be in every transfer conversation. Like, mm-hmm. it would be interesting to look at the, 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 the Twitter follows of the best 10 best players on Northwestern because I bet there's a lot of analysts and a lot of people starting a circle here. And, um, you know, we're taping this, obviously, on Tuesday morning. Uh, it would be interesting if you're listening to this on Thursday morning how many Northwestern players entered the portal. There, There's been a bit of a leadership vacuum there with the president and the athletic director both out of town on vacation, which – in theory, it's July in college athletics. People go on vacation. In reality, there's there's been an in-person directional void that needs to be filled quickly. Uh, David Braun, the defensive coordinator, is going to kind of act as the head coach for now. Uh, I'd be curious what your thoughts on what's next, the roster, and then interim versus can you find a full-time replacement on July? What is it, the uh, 11th? 11th, yeah. Um, the answer to the second one is no, and if yeah. you do, it's probably unwise. Um, I think they'll have an interim. You're talking about, uh, on the field, a program that in three of the last four years won exactly one Big Ten game. Now, in the middle, they finished in the top ten. I think that probably speaks to some degree about some slippage, and maybe that is reflective of, you know, some cracks in the foundation and the culture over the last few years that they had um, you know they had one good year the last four and the others were egregiously bad mm-hmm. um, particularly last year so I, I think it's going to be a hard job for whoever takes it I don't think it's a particularly attractive job outside of one thing it's in the Big Ten and there's a lot of money it's in a desirable place to live in a great university but now you're going away from divisions. You've expanded the Big Ten. It's uh, there. There's not the same. Uh, I'm, I don't want to say easy path because it wasn't an easy path, but easier 
path to at least get to the Big Ten championship game that was afforded Northwestern by being in the West, and they took great advantage of that on a couple of occasions. All of that is off the board. Um, the recruiting uh, will is limited in scope because of the academics, and I that doesn't mean it can't be a great job. It just means it's not going to be easy to fill mm-hmm. it, and you're not you're not going to find someone in all likelihood who understands it to the level that Fitzgerald did because of his playing days there. It doesn't mean they have to get uh, Mike Kafka, who you know is probably going to be an NFL head coach pretty soon, the former Northwestern quarterback anyway, so I'm not sure he would even be interested at some point. Um, but I don't think but, former but, Northwestern is going to be tied to anybody who replaces Papage. Yeah, well, maybe not, but that, that sort of speaks to my point so, because then you go in and you have someone who has to learn everything. Uh, about it that's not always a bad thing because we've seen example after example that per people from the family haven't fared well in various college jobs so it's not a prerequisite but I'm just saying it creates another obstacle for whoever the new coach is and the timeline in which coaches are now evaluated as to whether they were a good or bad hire is much shorter and even Northwestern now I'm not sure it's probably not as short at Northwestern as it would be at Ohio State Georgia or Alabama or someplace but it's still not as long as it used to be you know I I would think they'll you know they'll decide quickly you have to generate momentum and if you can't then people start looking to make a change and that's usually that's usually almost inevitable because I think the most difficult thing to do in college football is if it starts going backwards or sideways is to navigate the ship back in the right direction. I'm not talking about if you slip up and go eight and four one year. I mean, if you, if it gets off the rails, pulling it back is extraordinarily difficult and rare. And you almost always are obligated to make a coaching change rather than uh, seeing if, if the unlikely will happen. Yeah. Brian Kelly did it. And the list is pretty short after that. Remember they had that yeah. four and eight season. Yeah, it's, Kirk, it's Fer- Kirk Ferentz yeah. has done it a couple yep. of times. At <laughs> yes, Iowa. he has. Yeah. Yes, he has. Um, so, so going forward, my hunch is because of the logistical issues they have with leadership scrambling to get back to campus, because of the the, the portal looming as something that can gut their roster. I think they they name an interim for the season. It would probably be Braun, who was an outsider. He just came from from North Dakota State where he was a defensive coordinator there. And, you know, in the in the big picture, is Northwestern a good job is, a, is an interesting question because you are on the right side of the moat. We are in the era of power two. So everybody on the other side of the moat, in theory, is going to be interested in that job. Um, now, it's, it is still a difficult job, and one of the on-field legacies of Pat Fitzgerald and on-sideline legacies, I guess, is that he made Northwestern care enough where they have an unbelievable $300 million facility. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in it, Reese? I, I have not been in it, okay. no. It I've, is, I've, seen, look, I've we, seen multiple yeah. photos, videos. It's spectacular. Yes, and like yeah. we go to a lot of facilities, mm-hmm. and if there's one thing you and I probably get a little jaded about, I don't want to speak for you, but for me it's like, oh, look at your weight room. Great, it's really big. <laughs> oh, look at yeah. your this, look at that. When I walked in Northwestern's facility a couple years ago, I was like gobsmacked. It's, it's mm-hmm. that nice. And... The fact that they have invested in that, uh, the the field itself, the stadium, the little bandbox over there uh, in Evanston is being redone in a nearly a billion dollar renovation. Like the fact that 
Northwestern cared enough to spend over a billion dollars uh, in in field and I'm sorry in stadium and facility renovations speaks to the fact that that Pat Fitzgerald kept them relevant enough for the school to invest. So there are some good bones, is my point there, where for generations there weren't good bones. They had the worst facilities. They had the worst stadium. They had the worst tradition, and they had the worst outcomes. Um, So there will be some intrigue, I think, to, uh, you know, to someone coming in and and, and taking the job. It's probably not – like you look at recent – Big Ten high, like Ryan Walters at Purdue. This mm-hmm. he's a great hire and he's going to do great there. But this is probably not a job for like the hot assistant coach, right? right? Like this is this is a job for a veteran head coach to come in after next season and be it a Bronco Mendenhall, a Troy Calhoun, Jeff Munkin, somebody. Or do you look to the ACC and try to buy one of the better coaches there? Now it's not going to be Dabo or Mike Norvell, but do you go down the list there and say Dave okay? Clawson. No. Yes, who can who can come in and like we can pay a lot of money to because they do have money and they have to realize they're on the precipice of going back in a black hole if they make some mm-hmm. bad decisions this week and then in the next six, eight months. That is a very real thing for Northwestern football right now. And the administrators there, while while dealing with this and the fallout of this, need to be very cognizant that they are they are on a tightrope right now. And if you fall, it's hard, man. Because look look at the rest of that West right now. Minnesota is invested in winning big. Nebraska mm-hmm. has you know an unbelievable hire that they've brought in, who's who's energized that place. Um, you look at Purdue; they've had recent strength and tradition. Like the the places you used to be able to think you could beat at Northwestern. Are now you know are now looming difficult. Like Wisconsin made a great hire in Luke Fickle. Um, I'm just thinking of the old the old West programs. But the it's hard to get to the middle of the pack now. And if you fall to the bottom, it, it can be it could it could take a decade to bootstrap back up. You know the one thing they will have going for them in their coaching search. Two things actually. One is the money that you mentioned. The other for all of these obstacles that I've put forth that you've put forth. The one common denominator among virtually every head coach is the belief that, yeah, I know the obstacles, but I'm the man. I, I, can, I can fix that. And that will work in Northwestern's favor as they pursue guys who you otherwise might think, eh, they should wait around for something bigger. Like I, we've seen the list. There are a lot of usual suspects that would be fit hires at Northwestern and the immediate reaction because of the jobs they currently hold is, well, why would you leave that? But it might be finances. It might be, it might be commitment. It might be belief that you need to get into the Big Ten or the, or the SEC. I mean, there was a, um, there was a prominent coach in another sport who is outside of those two who told his rep, uh, recently get me in one of those two leagues because he is worried that the that the rest of the leagues aren't going to catch up and it's going to negatively impact his career so it's a that will work in northwestern's favor as they pursue perhaps some of the guys that my initial reaction to seeing their names on the list might be well, he shouldn't do that. Why? Why would he do that? And and those types of things might uh, might move the needle in Northwestern's favor a little bit as they engage in this search. But they should they should just they should just wear it, get through this season, and do a full search with a full complement of candidates and make the decision for next year. And also, 
not get swayed by whatever happens this year. Whoever the, now they're not. I don't think they're going to be good. I didn't really think they were going to be good had none of this happened. But don't get swayed if they overachieve. You need a fresh start. You need a new set of eyes. You need somebody to come in and and, and build it back from the bottom after this. I think. Let, let me piggyback on that a little bit. Just I was thinking through as you were talking of the the landscape. Like I gave you a bunch of time to do it. Sorry about that. Yeah. No. No. All good. Your your competitive advantage at Northwestern right now is your league and your finances. Right. right. Those are your two in your facility. Uh, those are your competitive advantages. So could you prey on a Pac-12 that, as we speak today, is vulnerable right now in the future? Um, Jonathan Smith is sitting there at Oregon State wondering, you know, what, the, what you know, is, the, is this job going to be as vibrant and relevant as it was 10 years ago? Jake Dickert at Washington State is from Chicago. You can go down that league. And, and can you can you look at a, a league like that and say, hey, let's take a guy who's been a head coach and proven himself in the Pac-12? And I mean, we could go through the Big 12, too, right? Dave Aranda, maybe. I, he makes a lot of money, but he would be the type of calm presence that, that you'd want there. But that is distinctly Northwestern's competitive advantage in the coaching market moving forward, Reese. It's that they have the money, resources, and platform to lure somebody who's a sitting head coach to, to that other side. But they are going to have to pay. Like, that is one thing that is that is unequivocal. They were paying Pat Fitzgerald good money. Um, obviously, there's $40 million, approximately $40 million in flux, um, you know, that, that the uh, that the, the lawyers will uh, will be hashing out here in the uh, in the immediate future, but they can't get cute and they can't get cheap. Like they need to they need to stay committed, which Pat Fitzgerald eventually coaxed them into doing after you know twelve years there, basically. And so, yeah, it's an interesting crossroads for that program. It's a distinct pivot point right now because um, it's not like they can hire the right guy and they're going to soar to the top of the league, right? Right. Like they're you know they can be occasionally competitive with the top of the league but the danger is that you're only occasionally mediocre the pivot point too is i almost feel guilty talking about this because these are serious allegations that had tremendous negative impact on some of their players over the years but it it is a reality of looking ahead to what they're going to do and what the program is going to be and there are a list of names i don't think you should even with the obstacles that I brought up, I don't think you should put yourself in a box and say, well, we can't get those guys. There, There is a list that I have in my mind of guys that I would go down in the uh, other Power Five conferences, but outside of the Big Ten SEC, that I would go and make, make them say no, or at least see if they were willing to listen. And, you know, some of them are, are pretty significant names. I think I would do that. I, I would go see if Matt Campbell were willing to listen. Certainly we mentioned mm, Dave Clawson. I would yeah. I would see if he were if he were willing to listen. I'd probably go see if Lance Leipold uh would listen, maybe even Chris Kleiman. You know, um yeah. and, and Aranda. And and Aranda for sure. Now I'm not putting them out there as candidates because I I'm always I, I've evolved a little bit, Pete, in this uh, era of media, but I'm always a little queasy about that because I don't want to put someone in a difficult spot in the job that they already have. But the, if I but those were, are names that should be on their yeah, list that you right, need to call yeah. before you yeah, hire. If I were, advi- hot if I were advising, yeah. yeah, if I were advising Northwestern, and before you get caught up in the obstacles and this and that, and uh, the 
who who wants to take over for the uh, you know for the legend who is just embroiled in controversy. I would go and and at least make those guys uh, tell me they don't want to listen to me. That, that that would be where I would start. And you know I'm sure that was not an exhaustive or comprehensive list, but those are names that pop to pop to mind. I think. I think Jonathan Smith is an interesting call, too, although I think uh, for, based on what I've seen from him at Oregon State, if I were owner of an NFL franchise, I might dip my toe in the water there, even with the mm. uh, star-crossed success that you've seen from college coaches moving up. I, I think he's done a really, really good job, and I think big things are in store for him, whether he stays at his alma mater or or goes elsewhere, but I digress there. Yeah. Now Campbell's an interesting name there, Reese. You know, yeah. like it just he's plateaued a little bit at uh, at Iowa State. They're in the middle of a, a reboot now. Um, he's obviously shown the you know the, the requisite face and character that they're going to need to sort of put on there. He's recruited that footprint from his time at Toledo, um, and he was in the MAC as an assistant for a bunch of years before that. So yeah, that that those are you know those are the types of names, but like. When people say, oh, they don't have a chance, they have a chance if they want to, you know, if they want to fish big and invest, like they mm-hmm. have a they have a chance um, to, to go. But it's going to take time. It's going to take patience. Um, you have to build th- those schools off of high school recruiting. Um, I was told yesterday that Northwestern, I think, believe has six transfers on their roster for this year, and they're all graduate transfers. These mm-hmm. academic schools, uh, Notre Dame is like the Stanford's like this have a difficult time taking mid-year transfers. Um, they have a difficult time taking the credits, essentially, from from other schools. Um, the better your academics, the more limited you are in the portal, generally speaking. There's exceptions and there's vagaries and everything, but that's a, that's a big issue. So if there is an exodus and if the roster is, you just can't, like— go get 30 guys, you know, from, right. transfer from wherever. So there has to be, that's why I'm employing that there's like an established architect mm-hmm. um, to, to come in here because it is a, uh, it is going to be a really difficult, uh, you know, look like they're already, they're already down. Let's be honest. Right. They were, they were oh, yeah. the last place team in the big 10 West last few years. So it beat, beat Nebraska. That was it yeah. last year. Yeah. Yes. They went O for America. Right. So mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the, the, the build aspect is already going to be, they was already there and was going to be amplified. And so, yeah, you need, you need a seasoned, you know, a seasoned guy to come in. Before we, before we go here, it, it kind of, comes to mind that in any walk of life that you rarely get to choose your exit strategy one would have thought that Pat Fitzgerald would be a guy who would get to and different circumstances for sure but still uh, similarly ugly in terms of uh, exodus is Bob Huggins at West Virginia who is now contending that he didn't resign and you know this is um this is this is kind of kind of sad to watch. Uh, Bob Huggins, according to the reports, uh, made an egregious error in judgment, and you know it was already um, it already had some issues here. And you know it, it's really it, it's kind of tough. Uh, it's it's kind of tough when you see guys who have accomplished um, so much then come to the end and have it end in ugly fashion as it is in Northwestern and football and as it is in West Virginia and basketball too. Yeah. I, I mean, the prevailing feeling I have surrounding Bob Huggins in the, in the latest development there is just sadness. 
I mean, Bob Huggins has zero chance to return to the sideline at West Virginia. And the fact that he doesn't recognize it may be understandable because we've been around enough of these Hall of Fame coaches, Reese, to know that they sometimes live in a bit of a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the people around him have allowed him to do this, it's it's baffling, stunning, and just unfortunate because— West Virginia essentially extended him an olive branch for a half century of good service as a player and coach over the years and said, okay, we will not fire you. We will let you sort of come out at halftime and wave and maybe do some fundraising and just still be part of the university, even though he had two egregious self-inflicted errors with the mm-hmm. with the Cincinnati radio interview, which was just mm-hmm. vile, and then the DUI, the nature of which was just galling. Um, mm-hmm. No rational person could think after those two incidents, when he was already on double secret probation right. Right. with a one year contract, that that he could come back and still coach the team. It is just unfathomable that. And so, I I don't know who who has instigated this, enabled this, but boy, you're just like you are. This is going to be sort of the low bar for disgraceful exits in terms of just trying to trying to claw back legally it just makes zero sense eventually people remember not just that mm-hmm. but generally not in your lifetime and that's what's unfortunate about it it takes a number of years before you take a career and put it in context in its entirety when you have an ending like this um, you know, the quintessential sports example is Willie Mays at the end of his career immediately. You know, that's still something people, you know, bring up as a cautionary tale. But over time, you, you, that becomes lesser of a memory and you remember the, the great accomplishments. Um, that's probably not a perfect metaphor because that's on field versus on field. And I think it's even more exaggerated when the end is caused by something off the field. It takes even longer to go back and really appreciate the accomplishments within the arena that these coaches have if they, if, if they end in this way. And virtually no one uh, gets to choose the way they go out. And I agree with you. It's, it's sad on, on both counts that particularly with Huggins, also to at least some degree, depending on you know context, scale, and scope that maybe, maybe will someday be revealed. But at the very least, even the Fitzgerald thing was, was preventable somehow mm-hmm. by, by him and his, he and his staff, and they didn't do so. And because of that, now for quite some period of time, no one is going to think or few people are going to think of the accomplishments and what Pat stood for as opposed to what happened at the end. And it's, uh, you know, I think it's a good reminder to all of us in any walk of life to, you know, to be humble. And, and in the case of Huggins, your job is not who you are. It's something you do. And if you can't separate that, it clouds your judgment and how you behave at the end and, and how you behave if you stumble somewhere along the way as he most certainly did. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's well said. And uh yeah, the, the the notion two months ago of 
I don't remember when Huggins' radio interview was, but the notion in January of, 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 of those two guys going out like this, and they are not similar people at all. So it's no, sort of, cl- no, it's sort no of not at all. Clunky yeah. to, 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 to put them together. But it's and, just, and it's uh, weird, and it doesn't, isn't it kind of weird that it, that both, while you're right, they're not similar at all. Yeah. But they've wound up in somewhat similar circumstances. The, the actual details are different for sure, but in terms of, some level of scandal. They both wound up at places where they previously were revered, mm-hmm. getting ushered out because of because of these uh, um, because of these problems. Yeah, there's a fragility to college coaching, uh, just day to day. There's a volatility and a fragility to it, and uh, certainly in the case of Fitzgerald, we we, we saw that. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's still Reese like pretty stunning that. I'll be at Big Ten Media Day in two weeks, mm-hmm. and we have no idea who's actually going to be rolling in from the Northwestern yeah. Wildcats. Like that's you know that there's, there's just there's few constants anymore. The only constant in college athletics has changed, but that was a constant, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable that um, that 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 constant is uh, that constant is over. There's a there's a fragility to college coaching. There's a fragility. To life, and I don't mm-hmm. just mean in the survival standpoint. There's a, a fragility in everything. Things can change in an instant by making uh, making a poor decision. Sometimes things happen beyond your control that change uh, change everything, and that's why it's difficult to make a make a judgment on on these things. And probably the best thing we can all strive to do uh, in these situations is is you know tell the truth or at least don't lie. You know, one, you know, one of the one of the two, and what the truth is, and uh, particularly the Northwestern situation. The the, and I don't mean to say that to cast dispersions or cast doubt on the allegations. I mean, what is the objective facts? Maybe is better a better word than truth. What are the facts of what everybody knew when they knew it, and that will inform us and in how to evaluate this in years gone by or in years to come because this is a the decision has been made and it's an unfortunate one for both the the victims of the hazing. It's an unfortunate thing for everybody involved with Northwestern that it comes to an end like that. Pete, uh, appreciate your work on this. You've done uh, done Yeoman's work as always in in following this story, and I know you continue will continue to do so as Northwestern seeks to move past this chapter and looks for what they're going to do this season in the future. Um, uh, great talk to you. Great to be with you on the podcast again. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. We invite you to download this wherever you prefer to get your podcast.